Today's conversation is with Donna Bowling. Donna is a video marketing strategist, a podcast host, a content coach. She is one of my clients, and most importantly, she is also one of my dear dear friends. And that's not always the case when you're a service provider. Oftentimes by nature of what we do, it's a business transaction. And if you're lucky, you're cheering for your client and you're excited about the project, but not every client becomes a close friend. So when Donna and I talk about our love for each other and how excited we are for each other, that is sincere. And I wanted to share that before you even hear us speak because what you hear and what you see with Donna here in our conversation is also what you get when you follow her on social media or visit her website or have the privilege of working with her. And one of the things that has been most fascinating to me about getting to know Donna and seeing her trajectory as a business owner and also getting to know the behind the scenes friendship that we have cultivated, I can tell you that this is a woman who is among the most optimistic and positive and resilient people that I have ever met in my life. And in this conversation, you will hear about some of the real triumphs and the highs in her journey, both as a business owner and somebody who worked inside the world of Hollywood. We talk extensively about that career path as a mom, uh, but also just as a human who is navigating this world, kind of dealing with social media algorithms the way we all are, dealing with disruptions in our business model as we all are. And there were a few moments in this conversation that were real takeaways and impacted me in a positive way, and I hope they will for you as well. Now, I won't spoil them, but in this conversation, you'll hear how Donna has been able to take advantage of different times in the world and different things that are happening in our marketplace, but also, again, just impacting us as a human race. You'll also hear about her incredibly exciting career as a casting director in Hollywood and why she ultimately decided to leave that job. She's going to tell you about some of the people that she met along the way. Many of them are celebrities and names you know. Uh, thank goodness she was able to uh, capture some of them in real time in her very early podcasting days. That's one of the most fun stories that we get to hear. So I can't wait for you to hear that. But also just people in her life, both family members and friends that have helped her become the person that she is today. And as you'll hear me say over and over, one thing I know about Donna is that where she is today is not where she will be tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now. And I am so thankful to be on the ride with her. And I could not wait to bring her story and her experience to you. So I can't wait for you to listen to Donna. If you are interested in connecting with Donna, and you of course should, you can learn everything at DonnaBowling.com. The podcast that we mentioned multiple times in today's show is Daily Dose of Donna, which you can find linked on her website. You'll also find all of her social platforms, including Instagram and TikTok, where she is posting every single day, and it is some of the best content out there. So with no further ado, meet my dear, dear friend, Donna Bowling. Welcome to Hard Costs, the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Widrick, fractional CMO and funnel fixer. And guess what? I'm good in a crisis and I know how to see through the chaos to find clarity. That's something I've learned from working behind the scenes as a strategic partner for visionary CEOs. I'm on a mission to bring founders to the forefront and to tell the truth about the hard costs of doing business. You know, we all see wins shared on social media highlight reels every day. 
But what we don't often get a glimpse into are the tough times, the lost revenue, hiring and firing, moments that required major pivots, and so much more. On Hard Costs, we're bringing forward the stories that will help you understand that the roller coaster ride you're on is all part of the gig. And just like a roller coaster, the founder journey can be pretty thrilling. Take a listen while I share my own experiences, case studies from companies I've worked with, and I'm joined by some of my favorite founders to help you navigate this storm the right way. Now let's rise together. Hi, Donna. Welcome to Hard Costs. You know how excited I am to be here with you, Katie. You're one of my favorite people in the entire world. I am so excited. My love language, Donna, is words of affirmation. And so hearing you say that, somebody that I equally love and look up to and get so excited to talk about and talk to, thank you so much for sharing that. And people who just heard me introduce you, they actually know that we work together, that we have kind of been in the highs and lows of each other's businesses. I consider you a friend first and a client partner second. Do you feel like that as well? I mean, I always say this because I talk about you like probably too often. Um, and by the way, I will say my love language is words of affirmation too. So like we we just need to constantly send each other love notes, um, which we do in the form of Taylor Swift TikToks. But I will say that you and I, you know, I've, I've really, and we can talk about this, but I've really minimized my whole like team. I mean, I, I went, when I first started working with you, I had multiple people working with me and now it's just you and I, and I can't let go of you. And not only it's because you do such an amazing job for me, but also because I do feel like you are a confidant that I can go to and be like, what should I do? I'm struggling with this. And it's not coming from just a place of like, well, as your, you know, as someone that works with you, it's coming from a place of here's where I would handle this if it happened to me in my own life, et cetera. I love that you shared it and that you articulated it in that way because one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast and start sharing these stories is that in my experience as somebody who has worked in corporate, run my own business, helped others scale their their own businesses, it can be not just lonely and isolating. You know, we've talked about that, but it can really feel like is there anybody else that has ever gone through this? Is there anyone else who has made the hard decision to let go of a team member or to get rid of a product or an offer or a, or a project that seemed like it was a good idea or I was having a lot of fun with, but you know, wasn't really panning out? What are some of the times in your life or your business when you've experienced a, a you know a really hard decision like that? I mean, it's happened so many times in various ways, but I think that there's like this weird trend and maybe I'm wrong, but I think there is a little bit of a trend that happened in the last few months with a lot of, you know, quote unquote, solopreneurs. My business has shifted so many times and you know this, and you know, my husband just laughs. Like every couple of years, you just wake up and decide I'm going to start a new venture. And maybe this is how I'll be until the day I die. But um, I'm like, well, you're lucky it's not you. You're lucky I'm not waking up and starting a new husband. Um, so I will say say that a few years ago, a lot of people in MySpace, uh, not MySpace.com, but in my- That too. We're old enough to MySpace, know that space. platform. <laughs> I work for MySpace.com. <laughs> actually, I'm bringing back Friendster. Um, You're so Tom. My, You're actually Tom from MySpace. You've really had a glow you tell? up. <laughs> I mean, we're wearing the same outfit. So he, so I, I, I think a lot of people in this kind of coaching and consulting space had- um, massive growth a few years ago. And that's the experience I had. In about 2020, 2021, my business exploded and it got 
so, so big, so fast. And I got really, really lucky. But because of that, you know, my income was high, very high. And in my mind, I was like, it's only going up from here. Like, there's no way that this is going to ever slow down. Nothing's going to change. So of course, let me bring them all on. I brought the, a podcast producer on at my height. I had a podcast producer. I had someone writing my emails. I had someone, not you, this is before I knew you. I had someone, um, an OBM, like an online business manager who was handling, I don't even like all the kind of like keeping me on track. I had a virtual assistant. I had someone doing podcast content for me, like podcast content marketing. I'm probably missing someone else. I was revamping my website every five seconds. Like, oh, and I had coaches, so many coaches, right? So I was spending so much money on on my business and it was in a time where my business was making so much money. So it just felt like obviously, duh. And then things shifted all of a sudden in the end of 2020, like mid 2022, where I was like, something needs to change. And I had to take a hard a hard look at my business and be like, what's going on here? Where, where, where do things need to shift? So yes. When you were talking about that climb and, and the business was growing and money was coming in, what was there a particular platform or a project or something that had led to that? And, and if so, what all of a sudden caused it to stop performing and to drop off? The pandemic was amazing for me. And I say that like some people have a very, very tricky time talking about like the, the benefits of the pandemic. And I'll tell you this, during 9-11, this is a kind of random story, but during 9-11, when the world was falling apart, when so many people were struggling, my stepdad had a company where he has um, army supplies. Like he used to be a colonel in the Israeli army. So he had tents and army uniforms, et cetera, et cetera, here in Los Angeles. And he sold gas masks, Israeli army gas masks. He sold them way before 9-11. Never sold them. Like who's buying them, right? 9-11 made my stepdad a millionaire, multi-million. I mean, it changed his entire life. So sometimes things happen where you have the right product at the right time. And I think what happened in this moment was I had just pivoted from working with actors right before the pandemic. I had just changed my business from working with actors to helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses online. Well, so what happened during the pandemic? Everyone started either a, started a business online or decided like, holy crap, I, don't, I can't go into the office. Like I need to do this online. And my, I should say my phone wasn't like, didn't stop ringing, but let's be honest, my DMs, my emails, like it was nonstop. And then, so that was 2020, it was crazy, but 2021 took it even to a whole new level because of that app Clubhouse. So Clubhouse was also an opportunity where I jumped in early and, um, a lot of people were anti, but I liked it. I liked Clubhouse was a social audio app for those people that don't know. And I always have the gift of gab. I'm able to talk. That's one thing I can do. And so I think it was a perfect storm. I was in there. I was hosting rooms. I was, you know, taking the leap where a lot of people maybe were nervous to, like starting their own rooms, starting their own what they called clubs. I I grew 25,000 followers on Clubhouse. My Instagram following triples. My business was like, I could, I didn't have the bandwidth, to be honest. I wasn't, I, there wasn't enough of me at a moment there. So I guess that. 
Yeah. So if I think about your journey and, and fill in the gaps where maybe there are parts, maybe I don't even know, but you know, my understanding is you, and we're going to summarize here, but you came up as a casting agent. So you were working with, you know, well-known celebrities and actors, and that was your career. You were winning awards. You were doing really well. At some point you pivoted, as you said, to helping people build their online businesses. You were able to, I think, kind of catch lightning in a bottle with some of these platforms. So, you know, here's what I know about you. Clubhouse started to grow. You saw the opportunity. You seized it. TikTok started to grow. You saw the opportunity. You seized it. And even as we'll, we'll get to talking a little bit more, you know, you are now able to, I think, really see what others maybe don't yet see potential in, even what you've been doing with YouTube. And just to give everybody a glance ahead, as I talked about in the intro, Donna is now the host of a wildly popular pop culture daily podcast. So that's a pretty big shift. And I can't I, I don't even know what you will be later this year, let alone next year, because you have proven to be so resilient and and so smart at shifting and iterating. But let's that's who you are now, and that's who you are becoming. Let's actually go in the Wayback Machine. Did little Donna expect to be in this industry? Did little Donna expect to say, here's who I am. I have a daily pop culture podcast and I help people grow their businesses. Or what did, what did little Donna expect to do when she grew up? Little Donna was obsessed with the entertainment industry, like the behind the scenes little, like when I was a young kid, and this is so funny because I was just talking to someone yesterday on a podcast and they asked something like, why, why pop culture? Or like, why you do... I said, you know what's so crazy? When I was seven years old, eight years old, my mom got me a tape recorder. I begged for it, right? I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, late 80s, right? The black tape recorder where you, uh, you know, the tape opens, like a cassette, guys. It had the I don't play think and the uh, record button on the same little thing. And if you accidentally, you'd have to one, press them at the same time. Oh, yeah. You'd record over your mixtape and it was a disaster. I, yes, I remember the cassette player very well. <laughs> Such a disaster. So stressed out if like anyone, yes. So I would walk around. My mom got me a little microphone that would, you know, wired into this tape recorder. And I would walk around and I, I'm not joking you, I would podcast. And I didn't know what podcasting was. And I have the tape, literally found it the other day and it's sitting on a boom box right here. And I listen to myself and Katie, when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to play some of it for you. You're going to die. Cause I'm like, oh, today at school, da, 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 da. and then after school, we went to this restaurant and this restaurant was so great and so fun. I was like journaling, but you were vlogging before vlogs or blogs were even a thing that it somehow both shocks me that you were so ahead of the curve and yet knowing you, it surprises me not even a little bit that you would have been doing that. I didn't even know I what I was that. doing. I think I just liked talking. I always got in trouble for talking too much in school. And so my mom probably was like, get her to shut up and talk to herself, right? No one listened to these tapes. It's not like there was a place for me to put them. It's not like I sat my family down at dinner to listen to it. But it's such an amazing moment in time because you're able to see, you know, I always had this this want to either share my feelings or thoughts. I didn't really know. And I did have a diary growing up, but so did most kids. Like a lot of girls, I think, had diaries. But I was never with a girl that could write a lot. I was the girl who could speak a lot. And so I did love entertainment. 
I loved watching TV. I loved being um, on sets. So my dad was a successful OBGYN in Beverly Hills and he um, delivered a lot of celebrity kids. And so I remember when I was like probably seven, he delivered Gene Smart's baby. And Gene Smart is, you know, like from Hacks, right? But at the time, she was on Designing Women. And my dad brought me and my sister, why? I have, still have no idea because Designing Women is not for a seven-year-old, but took us to a taping and we were on the floor. Um, we weren't like in the audience. We were on the floor because it was Gene Smart's doctor, you know? And we got to see this. And I remember seeing the cameras and seeing the set. And I didn't want to be an actress, but I was like, I need to be here. Like, I need to be here. And that's kind of what set me on that path. I was obsessed with, like, I would see Beverly Hills 90210 taping um, on the streets here in Los Angeles. And I would be like, like, pull over my car with my mom, yell at her, get me out of the car. And it was, it was 1990, 1991. So my mom literally would just like drop me off on the street. Like, she was like, okay, I'll be back in an hour. I was 10 on Melrose, like watching Kelly Taylor drive up, um, I just was obsessed with it. Going to live tapings when I was um, in seventh grade, my mom said, what do you want to do for your birthday? I said, go see a taping of Full House. Like this was my goal. So when I graduated college, I did get in the business in casting. And there's like a long story there, but you take my obsession with speaking. You take my obsession with you know, entertaining people, which I do when I'm like at a party, I like making people laugh. That, that is something who I like, it is my personality. And then you take something I'm obsessed with, which is celeb gossip and reality TV and, and Vanderpump rules. And I just want to talk about it all day. So it's kind of like a marriage of it all. I love that story because I'd love to get your insights. You had access to celebrity, celebrity culture. You were like pretty much living in the backyard of celebrity culture at an early age. And now it seems to me like you're you, – you, straddle the line between talking about and giving real commentary on celebrities' lives, but somehow not in even a mean way. I mean, I've seen you become friends with some of the people that are on these shows or that perhaps even listen to your podcast. What's your sense when you were a kid and you were, you know, as you said, obsessed? Were you obsessed with the people and the actors or just kind of the life in the industry and maybe not particularly intimidated to meet or or get to know the actors themselves. I mean, I was a, a celeb crazed kid. Like I remember seeing Paula Abdul at a drugstore when I was, you know, so young and I ran up to her and she had pictures in her bag, like, which was weird. She gave me a headshot and it said, keep on dancing. And um, so like, yes, I was just your typical like star studded obsessed kid. But at the same time, it was more about the way things were being done, like the behind the scenes of it that I was interested. I was obsessed with Luke Perry. I had their pictures on my wall, you know, like I would rip out from the magazines, all the 9 to 20, Say by the Bell. I, I was obsessed with the, that, yes. I was always interested, like what happened when the camera turned off, right? Like where did they go? What did they talk about? Like there was no – and when we were growing up, there was no access to any of that. We would just have, you know, Entertainment Tonight or whatever on TV, but like you never, you didn't get such inner access like we do now with social media, with all of that. I think for me, I just like hearing people's stories. I like knowing what's going on. I like doing the digging and the research and I like breaking the news. Like that's also kind of fun. I like being the one to tell my friend like, oh my God, you would die. You don't even know what happened. And now I have that ability through obviously the podcast, but then TikTok. And like TikTok is the most insane thing I've ever seen. TikTok is our new 
news. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I went to school for broadcast journalism and it was at a time when the only way you could get that news to your point was, you know, by sort of typical traditional news channels and news outlets and now this idea of not even just citizen journalism but you know the person in the front row of the Taylor Swift concert literally in real time live streaming her screaming at the security guard and that becoming headline news and what we're all talking about, you know, we don't have to wait for the reporter or the six o'clock news. And I think to your point, you know, some of that access has really opened up maybe a better understanding too for the fact that even the celebrities that we're talking about are also real people with real lives. And I I know your community, the dosers, have, have really kind of leaned into that as well. I'm now picturing little Donna with her little tape recorder and like the giant microphone because I had that too. There was no wireless microphones. It was all like that big, you know, like sports reporter microphone. Um, so you go to college and you get into the world of casting. Tell me a little bit about that experience, what you loved, what some of the challenges were, because ultimately you left that that job, even though it seemed like you were doing well, it was what you had dreamed of, you're winning awards. Talk to me about that experience. Yeah. So I got into casting because, um, you know, I always joke that my mom should be my agent and shout out mom who will never listen to this podcast. She doesn't know how to find podcasts. Um, she seriously, like I've, you know, she's the kind of woman that I'm like, you press the podcast app and every time she's like, where, how do you, what, where do you find? She probably still doesn't know how to send an email. Okay. So she, um, she is always looking out for us, right? That's her personality as any mom does really now that you think about it. But she was the person that, um, in fact, one of the guys, speaking of the gas mask story earlier, one of the guys who decided to also capitalize on the gas mask situation went to my stepdad, this Jewish guy, no one, my mom didn't know him, my stepdad didn't know him. His name is Eric Kretzer and decides I'm going to buy a thousand gas masks and then resell them online. Ends up, this guy is a huge talent manager here in, in Los Angeles. He was representing Burt Reynolds and, um, you know, Ron Perlman and some of the big name, like older actors. I love Eric. Okay. So it, shout out to this guy who's still an incredibly uh, talented entertainment manager. So I, I got an internship with him the summer before my senior year. And when you're working in a management office, you're selling, you're pitching, you're not buying, right? Like in the casting, people are coming to you and begging from you. Management is really tough. You're literally begging for people to give your client an opportunity. Now they had huge clients. I think they had like Lucy Liu and like some really big names at that time. Um, it was the days of headshots. Like we had a big wall with like shelves and I would have to, my job was the intern, right? Like I was taking the headshots and sticking them in envelopes and sending them to the messenger who was driving it to the studio. Things changed so much so fast because then it became all electronic. But I decided fast that summer, I don't want to do that. My mom, meanwhile, is on a plane so she got me that job. And a few months later, my mom is on a plane, sits next to a casting director, doesn't know, starts talking to her. And she says, yeah, I'm a casting director. My mom goes, my daughter wants to be in casting. I'd never mentioned that. But my mom is so smart. She's like, I'm going to get her in there. She got me a job interview, like an informational interview with my future boss, Joey Paul, who was the casting director on That's So Raven, the original That's So Raven on Disney. So I met with her like a month before I graduated college, she said, "I you can intern for me. A week after I graduated in 2003, I started working there and I quickly became paid and an assistant and moved up the ranks. So I worked in the Disney world, you know, the That's So Raven and a bunch of different 
shows. And then I went on as an associate, which is your next step up for a bigger office that did a lot of shows for the WB, CW, Reba. Um, They were doing a lot of Kevin Williamson shows, which was actually like funny story. He did Dawson's Creek and Scream and um, Vampire Diaries, Kevin Williamson. But he also, at the time we did a pilot called Hidden Palms, It was a six-episode pilot, and we pre-read, meaning before we brought her to producers, Amber Heard. Oh, my god! The Amber Heard of the Johnny Depp story, right? And she walked in that room, and I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with you. Like, I want to have sex with you. It's so crazy when you meet these young actors that are such big stars now, you know it. Like, they have it. They have it. I don't know how to explain it. But anyway, and then when I was 26, I had a girlfriend who uh, was offered a show as a casting director, but didn't want to do it alone. It was her first show. And she came to me and she said, do you want to partner up? And I was like, oh my God. So I had to meet with Disney and do the whole interview thing. And at 26 years old, we got our first show, The Sweet Life on Deck, which is Zach and Cody, you know, whatever. They're popular for younger kids. And so I was the youngest scripted casting director, 26 years old. And then we won awards for that. Like it was a crazy, we were lucky. I mean, we worked our asses off. We were young. We weren't married. We didn't have kids. I think that benefited us. Um, I think producers loved that we were married to our work. And then what happened was as time went on, so that was 2007, but about 2016 was my last year casting. Things had changed so much. There were so many cooks in the kitchen, so many politics. And we were working our butt off to find these actors like Zendaya from nothing. And then they would get the job and Disney would go to, you know, the interviews being like, well, when we found Zendaya and I'm like, wow, that's Donna, I'm, I'm the we. So casting directors like forever and ever will never get credited the way that they deserve. They don't get the Oscar. They don't get the Emmy. Like maybe they get an Emmy actually. I can't remember. Like it's one of those careers that you don't get credited for you. It's kind of like you're doing the dirty work, but no one gives you the love and they're, you're the first to blame when things go wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and we were talking earlier about love language, words of affirmation. It, you know, I don't think anybody needs or is entitled to constant words of affirmation. But again, there's some parallels to my start in journalism where, you know, the first thing that would happen after a newscast, it didn't matter that we were first on with a particular story or we had a beautiful, you know, it was, hey, why was the weather guy's tie backwards? Or why was the microphone cut off in the first five seconds? Or, you know, why wasn't this story ahead of this? And, and I think it, it sounds to me like, part of the job, they're sort of baked in, you're going to hear about the things that they didn't like or that were problematic rather than someone leading the conversation with you. Donna, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just found Zendaya. She's so great. And also this feedback is that when, when I know we were joking earlier, but when you talk about, you know, what lights you up inside, are there patterns that you've seen in that role? Or even as you have now shifted and gone into the, the life of being a business owner and an entrepreneur, are there things that you feel like, okay, this makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah. You know what's so funny is I always used to say this. I didn't realize this at the very beginning, but towards the last couple of years. So we were casting um, a show called Stuck in the Middle for Disney. It was my last Disney project. And that was uh, bringing Jenna Ortega, who ended up being Wednesday, bringing her to the Disney channel. Now she had done a couple of things. We didn't discover her, but we brought her uh, 
in for this role for the lead of the show. And that was a really weird time for me. I was pregnant with my second kid. It was 2015 at that time. And we were working in a really crappy office. That was another thing about um, casting. They kind of put you wherever they can find you. Like, unless you want to pay for your own offices, which most casting directors don't want to because you, you know, you're so freelance, right? You want the production to kind of house you during that time. And so we were working in a shitty office. It felt like unsafe at night. I remember being like, I don't want to be here late at night because it's creepy, um, which is a lot of these like, you know, production facilities. It wasn't like a fancy, you know, you think Hollywood, you're like, oh, you're on the Sony lot or like the Fox lot. Sometimes we were, but sometimes we really weren't. We were like in Deep Valley. And I remember, you know, missing a lot of time at home with my young kids and thinking, wait, why am I doing this anymore? And what I realized was the obsession that I had over casting was always, I loved getting the call saying, you have a job interview or like, we want you to meet on this project. I loved getting that call. It was like, yes. I loved coming up with ideas for the meeting for producers because that's what you do. You read the script, you like come out. So I like the creativity of that. I loved meeting with the producers and just showing the F off and getting the job. And then I hated doing the job. Like I actually hated casting. I hated sitting for 10 hours a day watching shitey talent, right? Like you watch a lot of crap before you get to the good. I hated that process. And then I I did like when we found someone good, but like that's, you know, a diamond in the rough. You have to go through a lot of bad. Then I liked the idea of presenting the good. Like I liked the the tying it up in a bow and showing it, but I hated doing paperwork. Oh, that's still the case, by the way, listeners. This is why I love working with Donna so much because she's the visionary and then she's like, okay, what's next? Like what's the next big game-changing thing? And I'm like, oh, but all of this admin stuff needs to do that. I think this is why we get along so well, Donna, because I can't, I don't have the big ideas that you have, but I know that in order for you to continue to have the impact that you deserve and that your community deserves, there's that back-end work. So I, I love that that was a pattern that you recognized early on. I seriously, I'm the worst assistant you can ever have, like awful at doing the things. You know, sometimes I have a bill for $7 that sits on my counter. I look at it every day. It's $7. I don't want to pay it. I don't know how to, this is something that I have to like go to therapy for because I need like I need a personal assistant just to do my paperwork. But anyway, um, yeah. So I realized like if this is something, what happened was at, there was one point where I came home to, to my husband and he was in our backyard and I said to him, do you like what you do? And he was a camera operator. He still is. He works in reality TV. And he was like, yeah, like no question. He was like, yeah, I love what I do. And he really still does years and years later. I mean, he doesn't like every aspect of it, but for in general, he really enjoys his job. And I said, is something wrong with me? Because I don't like my career anymore. I don't like what I do. I'm not like dying to go to work. I don't want to give it my extra time after work. I want to like, I can't wait to go home. That's a bad sign, you know? And I was young. I was in my 30s. Like, it's not like I'm jaded in 65, you know? I was just starting, really. And he said, yeah, you may want to look into that. And I realized, like, my life is way too short to hate what I do. And then you know what? When you hate what you do, guess what happens? You do shitty at it. And, like, your clients start recognizing it, right? Like, my, I, I think my producers started to feel that I wasn't passionate about it. I was – my mind was already like, what else is there, right? So that's who I am. I'm always like, what's next? What's next? Which is scary a little bit because like I should just be happy where I am, but 
I don't know if I'll ever be. It was funny. I was listening to an interview with Jane Fonda recently. I think she was talking with Louis, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus or with Doc Shepard, two, two podcasters that I have really enjoyed their shows. I need to um, listen to her show. It's been it's charting so like good. crazy. Yeah. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yep. She – so you would – I mean, obviously, I think our listeners probably know her both from Seinfeld and Veep and from New Adventures of Old Christine and a million other projects. But this one is particularly interesting because she's specifically talking to older women and kind of combating this idea that as you get into what Jane was referring to as the third act, you know, the, the sort of last third of your life that you're supposed to diminish and get ready to die. And, you know, there's just so, I, I don't plan to do that. Uh, and I know you don't either, Donna. But what Jane said was, it, it's been rattling around in my brain because she was talking about her marriage to Ted Turner. And she said, in general, with all of her marriages, she knew, even though she was, you know, deeply in love with these people and, and really loved, like respected them as people. And she just knew that this was not her future. And so she said that the sign to her that the, the end of the relationship was imminent was when she was quite literally thinking about their funerals, not in a morbid way, or, you know, just thinking about, okay, like when this is over, here's how this will look. And then here's how I'll move forward. And she really, Realized she was sort of planning for the next stage after their funerals when that's probably not a good sign. And you were just talking about like, you know, when you're thinking about like what's next or like how do I get through this so that I can move on to the next thing. And and so I I, I love piecing these stories together with you because the Donna that so many people know, and, and I think your community is – so beautiful and special because they have seen you through a lot of these iterations, maybe not every stage, but you know, you're the people who are now listening to you on daily dose of Donna every day and who are engaging with you there. were also with you on clubhouse or have also, you know, followed your journey through uh, the, the casting world. I have a lot of listeners who are either talent agent and managers that I worked with. And also I have a lot that are parents of actors who I coached and auditioned. So it is really crazy. They have like stuck with me throughout. Yeah, there's something, and and I don't say this, you know, just because again, I, I love you so desperately. But I think there are, there's a pattern that I see in business leaders, and and I don't just mean business, like you know, what is what is my revenue and what's my offer, but just like people who are able to resiliently move through and continue to engage with their audience. And there's just there's something about being a magnetic personality, and it sounds like you were talking about that really with the celebrities that you had crushes on and we're following. And, and even to this day, there's something to do with being a magnetic personality. So I'd love, and, and I think, you know, to be totally fair, there's, you have so much ahead of you. I do not think Daily Dose of Donna is the final step for you. I think it's an incredibly exciting one, but you know, I know that you might send me a note tomorrow saying like, I just came up with this killer new idea. And like, I'm going to be on that ride with you, Donna, your audience is going to be on that ride. I mean, I'm, I'm there, but I would love, you know, it seems to me, uh, like, I don't want to say any of this was written on the wall or was predetermined for you, but the, the little girl who walked around with the recording device and, and was vlogging and podcasting, who then moved into casting, who moved into all of these things, it almost feels like there were pieces of all of those stages that you picked up and sort of added to yourself that ultimately makes you such a great podcast host and a multi-hyphenate of other things. But do, do, does that feel to you, like when you look back, even when there were tough times, you had to lay off people on your team, you quit a job in an industry and you didn't necessarily know what was next. Do you feel like there were pieces of each of those that you took that got you to where you are today? I think it's 
100% the case. And also, you know, that is my almost consolation for anyone that is struggling in their career or in their position where they are now because they are getting something from it. Like, do I look back at my nine months of being an agent, which I didn't even get to with you, but I like, I did, I was an agent and representing actors for the last year before I started my own business. And I hated every second of it again. I don't know why I thought things were going to be different this time, but there was something that I learned from that. Even when you're in a horrible situation, even if you're going through, God forbid, like a divorce or a death in the family or something, you're getting something from it, that resilience, that eye opening moment or whatever. I do think it kind of comes full circle. I do. I think that, you know, had I not gone the casting route, had I not gone the starting your own business and being an Instagram coach, I mean, can you believe that that's what I was doing? I was helping people on Instagram. I don't think I would have been where I am now, but what people always like to tell me, um, and I appreciate it so much, is that when they listen to my podcast, they don't even know anything about what I'm talking about maybe. Like they may not even watch reality TV and that happens for a lot of my listeners. But they just say like you can talk about the phone book and I just want to hear you talk because it feels so relatable and real. And that's not put on. That is really just coming from a place of I've been on all those stages. Like I've been the girl that, um, you know, was – anxious and had massive panic attacks and didn't want to show up and didn't want to talk. I've been the girl that had no money when all my friends in Beverly Hills had all the money. I've been the girl that, you know, was the ugly duckling when all my friends had the boyfriends. I've been the one that, you know, was the life of the party. I was, I've been the one that has no problem now standing up in front of a, a workout class and dancing. Like, it's crazy, you know, the iterations just of who you become and your confidence and whatnot. So I do think like there is a weird connection. It's all supposed to happen in this weird way. And and I agree with you. I don't think this is the end. I think Daily Dose of Donna will grow to something or change to something else. And, you know, I, I will be sending you a message probably in the next few months. You're going to be like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Setting up your email funnel. My favorite thing to do. And, and I will say for listeners who don't have the privilege of knowing Donna the way that I do, um, you know, Donna, one of the things that I think should really inspire people is that, you know, we're, we're talking, you've, you've shared some real vulnerabilities and some tough times, but in general, you're such a positive person. And even as you've been sharing these steps, you know, I think you've been able to say, and here's, here's what was great. And here's what I learned, but I've worked with you and known you and been your friend when you felt out of alignment. And my sense is that like everybody else who's listening, you've said, okay, the the play is to be a, a video uh, branding coach. Okay, I'm going to do that. The play is to launch a course. I'm going to do that. The play is to do this and that. And even where there were successes, my sense from knowing you is that the times when you have tried to do what everyone else is doing or tried to do what seems right, there's been a misalignment. And when you do things like, hey, I'm just going to randomly start a pop culture podcast and see what happens – that takes off because it's authentically you. So if, if there's somebody right now who is maybe in the struggles, I just launched something, it's not going the way I want. I have put out an offer or I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z because it's working for this other person. It's not working for me. What would you say to them about sort of the pros and cons of trusting your gut and just doing the thing that's fun. I could write a book. I hope you will, by the way. I think that's the next, that might be the next big project. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on book tour with Andy Cohen. Um, you know, a hundred percent, I have had some massive failures, especially in the last couple of years. Now, I don't know if it's um, 
because of the way that the industry is going or the market or inflation and people are scared to spend money and what I was offering was not a necessity, like, but it was a luxury. Like, for example, hiring you, you are doing done for you services. And my business for the most part is, was in the coaching consulting space. And I do think that's a luxury. Um, here's another thing. I'm just going to be hundred percent honest. Not everyone can be amazing on video and not everyone can be amazing in podcasting. And when like working with people as a coach and a consultant sometimes feels like you're failing because at the end of the day, you can't change who the person is, their personality. And that's why some people are magnetic and some people aren't. Do I think that everyone should try? Yes. But some people just are not going to succeed. Some people are just not as good with creating content, et cetera. And that was hard for me as a coach. But I also realized, you know, when things – so I have always struggled with wanting um, approval, right? I've always struggled with wanting approval from multiple people, but like specifically my mom – Okay. Um, I think I've grown out of that. I think I finally have grown out of it. But when I first started Daily Dose of Donna, my mom sat me down and she was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you're talking about celebrities. Like, this is stupid. You got to stop. This is so stupid. And I thought to myself for the first time, like, I know inside that this is bigger than that. I know that this is something that will do well because it feels so good for me to do it. And then every day, the numbers were proving me. I remember about 30 days into my podcast, I talked to my friend Molly and I said, what the fuck am I doing? What am I doing? This is insane. I'm an insane person. Like I'm still running show up on video. I'm still a video coach. Why am I talking about, you know, real housewives? Like, what am I doing? And she was like, Donna, look at your numbers. Like, look at the stats. You know, my first month on my podcast had the entire month of January. So I started January 6th. My entire month was 400 something listens. And last month, which was April, had 12,000 plus listens. Like it's growing. And now we're halfway through May and I'm already like 80% to that number. So it's clearly the numbers are showing you the way. But if you're in a position right now and you're listening and you're like, I know that, you know, I, I decided I'm going to become a coach and I am going to help people. And if that's something that you really can't imagine not doing, it's something you're called to do. It's something that you know you have to do, do it. But if it's something that you think, hey, I, my coach is doing really well, so I think I should be a coach too. Good luck. Good luck in life. I mean, I hate to say this, but I think like the coaching world is going to take a massive nosedive over the next five years. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not hiring a coach. Is that bad to say out loud, Katie? No. And I was going to say, if people are listening, as I have shared multiple times, Donna is a predictor of the future. Like Donna looks into the look, into the, the, the ball, the, uh, what do you call it? Yeah. I don't You are able to see into the future and really like get a sense and then iterate. And, and so the, the other thing that I, that is a huge takeaway for me, just listening to you talk about that is that I'm seeing this as a biased backend person. Like my job with you and with my clients is to help them take their content and accelerate it and amplify it. But the thing is, Donna, you haven't had to do much of that. Like everything that it has attracted to people to you and has gotten them to subscribe and then also go over to your YouTube page 
which has exploded and like engage with you, talk back to you. It's not because you had a beautiful email funnel or you had, you know, SEO and all of the things. It's because you're passionate about what you're talking about. And like you said, you're, you're into it enough that you're doing the content because you are also excited to hear about it and to talk about it. You're not thinking strategically, oh, what happened over here on Vanderpump Rules? I better figure out what I'm going to say to my audience. And so for people that are thinking, okay, sure, but it's got to be the perfect framework, the perfect platform, the perfect system. I'm telling you as a systems person, absolutely not. Like throw that out. Just do whatever. The, the, the ability to niche down in 2023 and beyond has really blown my mind because there is not a topic and TikTok is a great example. There's not a topic in the world right now that you can't talk about that someone else wants to hear about. It doesn't matter how silly or small or whatever it is. There's a lid for every pot. And honestly, like what you just said is really important. The reason why coaching is going to struggle, especially in the social media coaching landscape. I say this with love because a lot of them are my friends, but this is just as a consumer, this is what I think. Because no longer can you tell someone this is how to create the perfect TikTok. Go use a hook. And I'm saying six months ago it worked, but that's how fast things change. And you can still try to do the hook, but let's be honest. Anytime you see a TikTok where it's like, here's five ways that you, I'm, I'm gone. So if you don't have it innately in you to want to just share, like you would call a friend and pick up a friend and be like, you wouldn't even know, understand what I just learned, but it's not, that's why it's so hard to teach virality or teach marketing or teach anything like that because it's literally trial and error and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And yesterday I had a TikTok that got 400 views. And two days ago, I had a TikTok that went got 500,000 views. There's no predictor on why it does well. The only thing we can do is keep trying, keep throwing your hat in the ring, right? I love that. And I'm so appreciative that you shared all of that because I think you are doing it in public too. You know, you're not only talking about these shifts and these iterations that you made, but people are able to actually see and cheer you on. And I think there's, there are too few and, and I, you know, I'm always challenging myself to be more transparent. There are too few of us who have decided to be public in some way, decided to have platforms. Too few of us are talking about those challenges. And that's why I'm so appreciative that, that you were willing to chat with me today. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up with just a couple of quick lightning round questions. The first one. So I, uh, I love a mantra. I love a quote. I've got a whole stable full of things that I'll pull out, but one that constantly comes to mind for me is the rising tide lifts all boats. I say this on a near daily basis in some scenario. Is there a particular phrase or a quote or a mantra that is sort of your North Star? I wish there was. I actually don't. You know me. I would probably have a new one every month. Um, lately, I've been saying I, um, uh, I have the effort syndrome, which is basically like everything I want to do and I get a little bit hesitant to or wonder what the end is going to be or how it's going to turn out or where the money's going to come in or where this and that. I say F it. I say F it because it hasn't gone wrong yet. Like I will fail and I, it's not like, you know, money's getting poured on my face right now, but I say, I know that it will happen because right, Katie, we're so lucky. Everything happens so for us. Lucky. I was going to say lucky girl syndrome. We're, we're both suffering or uh, like taking advantage of lucky girl syndrome. We are blessed with lucky girl blessed syndrome. With. Okay. F it. I like it because it's so clear, concise, and to the point. Okay. Speaking of clear, concise, and to the point, iPhone or Android? iPhone what? 
What kind I mean, of a question I know this was to that? be true, but I'm always I am surprised there are a few people that I've been speaking with that are like, nope, I'm I'm Samsung for life and I, I don't understand uh-huh. it. I'm okay, I'm Okay, good I luck know. with that. <laughs> Green text messaging is not for me. No. Okay. Social media platform, what is your favorite? I know this is a little bit of a tough one because you're active on so many, but right now, if you had to pick up your phone and say, for fun, I'm gonna go on this one, which would it be right now? TikTok. TikTok, a hundred percent. Um, YouTube, I don't consider a social media platform actually. So TikTok and Instagram is far behind that, but it's still there. I like stories, but yeah. If you were to take a three month sabbatical from your business, from your life, and this can take any form or fashion, and there's no negative consequence, you're not having to do this on a budget, where would you go? What would you do? What would three months break from your normal life look like? It would be so hard for me, number one, because I really struggle going on vacation, but you, we know this about me, but um, if I forced myself and then got into the mode, yeah, I mean, I would probably, if money wasn't an issue, I would probably do a huge European jaunt and then I'd want to live in New York for a little bit. Okay. I can definitely see that. You've conquered Hollywood. We need to get you in Manhattan. And also- I just want to walk downstairs and go to a bodega. I'm I'm seeing you as like Billy Eichner, but like Donna on the street with your, maybe it's even the old school recorder with the wired microphone. You're just walking up to celebrities in New York City. Okay. I think, I think maybe we can put that on the backlog of projects to work on. Um, two last questions. Is there a particular fear that you have? And this could be a fear of heights or a bigger philosophical fear, like being a bad mom. Definitely being a bad mom. But I think I probably already have like uh, checked that one off the box a few times. I would say my biggest fear is, um, uh, failure and poverty. <laughs> I have a money fear. I'm, I'm scared of, of lack of money, but it doesn't stop me enough from doing the scary thing. Yeah. F it. <laughs> F it. Okay. Last one. Do you have a signature coffee order? Yes. Don't freak out over this. Okay. It's a grande. It's a grande triple shot oat milk latte, but here's the kicker. And this is going to sound extra sweet, but the brown sugar syrup at Starbucks is a half pump. So I get five pumps of brown sugar syrup, but it's really like two and a half pumps of sweetener. And this, folks, is how she's able to host a daily podcast, run a successful business, be a mom of two have all of the things going on. Okay. Donna, I love you desperately and dearly. You, you are more. truly one of my favorite people. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I'm I'm just really thankful that you are doing what you're doing. And I am so thankful to be along for the ride with you. Oh my God. I love you, Katie. You're amazing. You're literally uh, my favorite person to talk to about anything business. And um, I always appreciate you right, sticking love- with my craziness. Love you. Mean it. <laughs> I love you too. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. My hope is that through someone else's journey, you're able to find what you need to keep going because a rising tide lifts all boats. Doing business is hard, but none of us has to navigate it alone. So make sure you share this with a friend or a colleague who needs to hear this message. And I would love for you to write a review so we can keep getting these incredible founder stories to as many people as possible. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about my services or would like to book me as a speaker for your next event, head to katiewidrick.com. I'll see you on the next episode of Hard Costs.